We are in the second part of our series that we began last week that is entitled Embrace. As I said last week, the aim of this series is to, to help us learn to be more compassionate with one another, to help us learn to be more loving and, and, and caring with one another. It is to, to help us learn to love one another better regardless of our color, regardless of our differences, regardless of our of our backgrounds. And I feel like we got off to a, to a very good start last week. I heard a lot of good feedback uh, from you. I heard life groups, our, our life group had a very, very good discussion. I hear the life group discussion from the other group was, was very positive as well. And you know, I think that, I think that the key for us to, to move forward, for us to continue to, to make progress is to engage in meaningful and respectful conversation. Do you? Do you agree with me? Yeah, I think that's right. And it's my prayer, it's my prayer that these conversations will not stop at these walls. It's my prayer that we will carry these conversations out from here. That they won't just stop at your life group walls, that they will go out from there and that you will carry them into your workplace. You'll carry them into your, uh, into your, your circle of people that, that you associate with. Because that's, that's how we make progress. That's how we make advances with the kingdom of God. We cannot hold it to ourselves. We have to carry the love of Jesus beyond just these walls, beyond just ourselves. Well, as I, I stated last week, I think that one of the greatest needs today is for Christians to learn to love people better. To learn to love people in God's way. Because as I've, I've looked around over the, the years, and I'm sure you have too, that you have seen a lot of people who have named the name Christ, yet the things that they were doing did not show the love of Christ. Anybody else seen that besides me? Yeah, it's everywhere. Now then, I will also say that I am guilty of doing that very same thing. Okay, I can't stand here and say, yes, I've got it right, I'm good, I love Jesus, look at me because I never blow it. Okay, I have to stand here and say that I too am one of those that at times, when I need to be Christ-like, I've been anything but. Okay, when I need to be loving, I've been anything but loving. Okay, but we can't choose to stay there. We have to let God rework us, remake us, and bring change in our life. So, last week we looked at a passage that is going to be the, the theme or the, the anchor of this series as we talk about this for a few more weeks. And so, we're going to read that again. We're going to do it each week. And I want you to read the words in yellow. Read it nice and loud so that the podcast picks it up, so the people hear it at home, and it's not just me leaving gaps in the, uh, in the reading. So let's, uh, let's, uh, let's read together from 1 John 4. Beloved, because love is from God, whoever, for God is love. And that's it. Yes, amen. God is love. So important was this issue to Jesus, remember? So important to this that on the last night of his life, he not only demonstrated what it looks like to love people, he said that you must do this. And by your love, people will know that you're my disciples. 
By the way that you love one another, people will know that you do belong to me. Okay? Now, we sort of see the opposite of that, ver- of that in this verse. Okay? The one who does not love, what? Does not know God. Now, that's, that's pretty serious, isn't it? There are a lot of people who claim to know about God. Yeah, you may know about Him from a, you know, from a cosmic standpoint. Yeah, okay, yeah, there's God. He's off in the heavens and... I don't really know what he does, or maybe I even believe in God. Okay, maybe you claim to be a follower of Christ, but then you go out and you live your life, and people are going, whoa, wait a minute, I thought you said you were a Christian. Christians whose lives are supposed to be defined by love and compassion and mercy and, and, and grace, yet you're not showing any of those things. What John is saying is that if you do not show those things, if you do not love, if I do not love then I really, I really don't know who God is. Have you ever thought about that? If we don't show love, then maybe we don't really understand who God is after all. That's that's pretty heavy truth to think about, isn't it? Let us be the people of love. Why? Because God is love. Let us be the people who love love. God and by loving God we show the love of God to others that we come in contact with well along the way I want us to I want to to challenge each of you I want to challenge each of you and when I say you I'm I'm, I'm talking to myself as well but I want to challenge each of you to examine your hearts I want you to wrestle with the question do I harbor racist thoughts in my mind and in my heart maybe not intentionally maybe they're just sort of there unintentionally Ask yourself this, am I holding on to hatred of of someone or some people group? And if you find that, yeah, maybe there are some things like that, ask God to cleanse your heart of those things. Just as I have to ask God to cleanse my heart when I have hatred that rises up within me. So let's talk about the problem of us and them. Or us versus them. And that's the, that's the title, really, of the message today. You ever heard that? That, that us versus them? This has become a, a huge, huge problem in our society. It, I think it's one of the most damaging things that, that, that we, we do because our tendency is to create, uh, to create this sort of this us and them or this us versus them mentality with practically everything whether it be political, whether it be religious, or or simply just some sort of of petty disagreement. You see, the problem, the problem when we do this is that oftentimes we tend to to demonize. We tend to to mock anyone that that thinks differently than us. You know, and it's, it's, it's so easy to sort of slip in that mindset. Look at this next slide. You know, it can be just like that. You know, us, hey, we're the angels. You know, you ever been in that position where, you know, we're angelic and everybody else, you're the devil. You know, I have been that way before where I just, I'm right, I've got this, I'm good. And all of you, you're, you're wrong. Okay, you're just, you're, I'm Jesus, you're the devil. I'm Jesus, you're the devil. Okay, but it's easy to slip into that kind of mentality. It's easy to create an, an, an us and them. For example, you know, there is the reoccurring trend in this political season. Okay, you know it, I know it, I don't even have to say anything else because of the groans that I just heard from the audience. We know, we know we hear it in the speeches, we hear it in the rhetoric. Each 
side attempts to make the other side sound like the most morally bankrupt people of all time. You know, and we uh, uh, collectively as a group of people, we have this, this tendency to assume that, that people who think differently from us are, are somehow inherently flawed when they may just have a, a different perspective and a different way of, of looking at things. You know, it is a, a, a much easier thing to pretend that, you know, liberals are just stupid, ignorant, and, and foolish than to actually understand the reality of why they believe what they do. It is a much easier thing. It is much easier to convince ourselves that, self, uh, that uh, conservatives are, are selfish, that they're uninformed, that they're entitled, than to truly investigate why it is that they think why they do. And so we can create this us in them. This us versus them. And, and this is not limited to just those things. It's this, this us and them thinking, it, it carries over into race relations as well. And again, the, the problem with this sort of this, this myopic, this short-sighted, this uninformed thinking is that it allows us to assume the best of ourselves and the worst in others. You see the, you see the slide. You know, it's, you know we, if we have that kind of thinking that, that us and them, it's all about me. It's about I'm right, my group, us, self, I'm right, and everybody else, you, them, they, they are wrong. That's what this thinking can do. It can also cause us and allow us, or at least open doors for us to, to dehumanize one another. And to do that is certainly not to demonstrate the love of God. Because God is love, right? Say that with me. God is love. One more time. God is love. Absolutely. Well, this is no new problem. This us and them mentality, it's, it's been around for thousands and thousands of years. It's not just something that just has come about in our time. It's not something that's come about just in the history of the United States. It's been going on for generations, for centuries upon centuries. And again, the Bible has something to say about it. Acts chapter 10 is a very significant chapter in the Bible. The, the most significant and the most important thing is that it's in this chapter that we find out that salvation is for, for all of mankind. And that's a good thing, is it not? Yeah, that's a good thing. Okay, Because in that chapter, it's established that, that salvation is not just reserved for the Jews, it's reserved for everybody. Anybody who loves and respects God, it is open for all. And that's good news for us. Because as I look around the room, and as I have said so many times in my time here, I don't see anybody in this room who is Jewish. Now then, you might have some of that heritage, you know, uh, back, going back a ways, but as far as I can tell, there are none of us in here that are kosher by birth. You may choose to, to be kosher. You may choose that lifestyle. But none of us were born that way. And so that's significant that God opens up salvation. He opens up salvation to, to, to everyone. 
What we see in this chapter is that God embraces people from all races who love and who respect him. Now then, Luke is going to hit us with a lot in this chapter. And he's going to hit us right off the bat. Look at uh, 10 verse 1. Again, I've got several scriptures. We're not going to look at the entire chapter. We're going to just hit some of the highlights. And the first one is, is right up here on the screen. I'll read the white. You read the yellow really loud. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Right off the bat. Right off the bat, Luke hits us with this. Right off the bat, any Jew who is reading this or hearing this for the first time is going to see there is somebody that this verse is talking about and he's already got two strikes against him. The first is that he is a Gentile. Okay, he's Italian. Okay, he would be unclean. He would be uncircumcised. He would eat things that are unclean and that are forbidden to the Jews, things that they are not supposed to be eating. He would be mixing with people that Jews should not be mixing with. And if that weren't bad enough, he's not just a Gentile. He is a Gentile who is an oppressor of the Jews. He is a Roman military officer in command of this Italian regiment or this, this cohort. So his job as a Roman military officer is to make sure that the Jewish people stay oppressed, that they, they stay under the boots of Rome. So right off the bat, right off the bat, Luke is, is setting us up. He is setting us up, and we see that this guy, he's already got some, some strikes against him. But then Luke begins to, to tell the story. And it says that, that he was a, a, a devout man who, who feared God. And he often prayed, and he often did things for, for the people of God. And, and one day he was, you know, he was sitting around about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and it says that he, that he has... A, he has this vision, and it's in this vision, you know, Jesus answers him. He says, hey, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. What you're doing has been, been seen by God. I want you to go and send for my boy Peter. I want you to get him. He's hanging out at Simon the Tanner's house. Go and get him, and I want you to, to listen. I want you to listen to what he has to say. And so Cornelius sends some of his soldiers off to go and, and fetch this guy named Peter who he really has no idea about. And so they begin making their way to Simon's house to find Peter. Well, the next day, as they are, are, are getting ready to arrive at the house, it's about noon, Peter is up on the rooftop and he is praying. And it says that uh, while he was praying, while he was praying, he he became hungry, he fell into a trance, and it says that, that something like this sheet was being lowered down from heaven. And as the sheet opened up, there were all these unclean animals, all of these things that the Jews were not supposed to be messing with, and the Lord speaks to him, he says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. Peter says, I can't do that. I've never done that. I'm not going to. Look at, uh, look at verse 14. 
Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have... Okay, we've got to do better than that. <laughs> we've got to do better than that. Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have... Ah, yes. Very good. Yes, I've never eaten anything profane and unclean. That's how he would say it. No, Lord. No, I've never eaten that. He'd say, no. He would protest this. God, I have never eaten that. I have never put that to my lips. I would never associate with anything that is unclean, anything that is unpure. I'm not going to be messing with that stuff. You see, Peter, Peter, just like Paul, he's kind of a, kind of a super Jew. You know, he's got the, the pedigree. He follows the law. He's been circumcised when he's supposed to be circumcised, and that means that he doesn't mix with Gentiles. But you see, Peter has to be prepared for what is coming. And so Jesus speaks to him in this vision. You see, a, a God-fearing Gentile like Cornelius would have no problem being in the company of, of Jews, but even a, a moderately orthodox Jew would have been scandalized by having entered the house of a Gentile, whether he was a, a God-fearer or not. Peter's Commitment to his race and his tradition will not allow him to mix with Gentiles. And it's then, it's then that Jesus speaks in verse 15. The voice said to him again a second time, You must not. Yes, what God has made clean. What God has made clean, you must not call fame. Everything that you ever thought, everything that you've ever been taught, everything that you've ever done, you've got to move all that aside. Because from this point forward, everything, everything has been made clean. Now then, this is going to be a, a difficult thing for, for Peter. Look at this quote from William Willimon. He says, we must not read this story from the safe vantage point of a majority religion. Okay, we can't read this from the safe vantage point of a majority religion. Christianity is a majority religion. Okay, we cannot read it from that vantage point where broad-mindedness and toleration cost the, the majority nothing, but rather read the story as it was heard first time from the minority point of view. People for whom a, a bit of pork or a pinch of incest was a matter of life or death in their community, okay? For the Jews, this was a matter of extreme importance because the Gentiles ate things like pork and bacon. But yet the Jews would say, well, no, no, I don't want that. That's, that's unclean. I'm not touching that. I don't want anything to do with that. Yet Jesus is saying, don't call anything that God has made unclean, which means Peter can now have bacon. Can I get amen? And hey, we know what bacon is. Bacon is meat candy. Am I right? I mean, hey, praise God for bacon. 
Okay, that's another reason why I love this passage. Because I love me some bacon. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? So this is great. Okay. But this would be a different... Imagine your whole worldview, your whole way of life, everything that you've been taught has suddenly been upended. That's not going to be an easy transition, is it not? We cannot expect for this to be easy for Peter. And the Bible says that, that after this happened a few times, it was taken back up to heaven and Peter was left perplexed. <laughs> really? Of course he's perplexed. His whole worldview has just changed. He's left scratching his head, kind of sitting there on the, on the rooftop. And it's while he is sitting there that the Spirit of the Lord speaks to him again. And he says, hey, Peter, there's three guys downstairs. Three guys that are looking for you, and you should not hesitate to go with them. Now then, if you're reading along in this story, you'll notice an interesting detail there, and it is this. Really, it's a detail that's missing. God does not bother to tell him what kind of men these are. Okay? He doesn't bother to tell them, tell him who they are or, or where they come from. Okay? It's not until Peter hits the bottom of the stairs that he looks up and he realizes that they were not like him. They were of a different race. They had a different skin tone. They come from a different background than he. They were Gentiles. Now then, I don't know why God didn't tell him that. Maybe it was some sort of spiritual test that he was putting, through, putting him through. But what he did tell Peter is don't hesitate to go with him. They're looking for you. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to go with these guys. And Peter, to his credit, you know, he demonstrates his trust in God, even though he doesn't know the plan. All he knows is that three guys who definitely don't look like him are at his door, and he's supposed to follow them. You know, there's an important lesson here. When it comes to, to choosing what is right, trust God. Does that make sense? When it comes to choosing what is right, trust God. Even if others disagree with you, trust God. Look at verses 22 and, and 23. They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for Time out. Was directed by a holy angel to send for and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited, invited them in and gave them lodging. You guys read very well, by the way. He invited them in and gave them lodging. That is a huge first step. For Peter. For Peter to invite these guys in, these, these, these Gentiles, these people who he has previously considered unclean, to invite them into the house where he is staying is huge. It's a tremendous risk. But it's not as big as the risk that he's going to take the, the next day. 
You get down around uh, verse 24, and Peter has set off to Caesarea with these Gentiles. And also, you notice, it says that there were some people there, some believers, some brothers. They had to see what God was up to, and so they, they join in the caravan along with Peter, and they start making their way to Cornelius' house. And when they get there, Cornelius has gathered his relatives. He's gathered his, his friends. But you see, Cornelius, just like Peter, he has no idea what he's in store for. The only thing Cornelius knows is that he's supposed to send off for some Jew named Peter. He's supposed to bring him into his house. And Cornelius, just like Peter, is trusting in what God has told him to do. Send for Peter and listen to what he has to say. Now then, this, this, what happens next is, I, th I think, incredibly, incredibly important. Cornelius sees him. He comes up to him and, and, and demonstrating a, a deep humility. He falls down at the feet of Peter and he begins to, he begins to worship him. This is something that a Roman military officer would never do especially for someone that he would consider racially inferior to him. But he falls down at the feet of Peter and he begins to, begins to worship him. Now then, Peter's response is equally important. Peter responds in kind. He responds with, with a humility of his own. He very easily could have taken a position of entitlement. He very easily could have said, you know what, this is great. You are finally where you belong. You've been oppressing us for all these years, and you now know what it feels like. You know, and he could have stood there and made him feel that way, but Peter stands him up. said, hey, look, I'm a, I'm a man too. And he demonstrates what he's soon going to be speaking to these Gentiles. Look at verse 27. And as he talked with him, and he found that many had assembled, and he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that God has changed his beliefs. See what I'm saying? Remember what we said last week? When, when how we were raised, you know, no matter what our parents taught us and their parents taught them and their parents taught them and their parents taught them, okay, if they have passed down generational racism and prejudice and all of those things, as soon as what we were taught disagrees with what God says, then what we were taught was wrong. God just changed Peter's worldview. You know that it's not, you know, we're not supposed to associate with one another. I'm not even supposed to be visiting you. But God, God has shown me that I shouldn't call anything, anyone unclean, anyone profane. So when I was sent for, now may I ask, why have you sent for me? They still don't really know why they are there. 
we cannot underestimate how difficult this must have been for Peter. Because this is all he has known for his entire life. We cannot underestimate how tough a challenge it was. Even though he's just learned that, that what he has always been taught has been changed, that God now accepts people. We can't imagine that this wasn't a tough task for Peter. You see, and here's the thing. Doing something once doesn't mean we've mastered it, right? You know, now we might do something once. We might be willing to, to cross barriers and to, to reach out and to embrace people once, but just because we do it once doesn't mean we've got it licked. Doesn't mean we've got it mastered. It also means that it doesn't stop there, okay? And it can be novel to kind of do something once, but choosing to engage in what is right Choosing to engage in what is right doesn't mean it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, it almost never is easy. Okay? Doing what's right is always difficult. And, and just because you do something once, it doesn't mean that you're not going to slip back into old patterns of behavior. Because old habits die hard. Old racisms die hard. Old beliefs die hard. Old prejudices die hard. Next week's message is going to reveal that. Because just as difficult as, as this must have been for Peter, and as he, even though he gets it right, just because he gets it right here doesn't mean he's always going to get it right. And that's what I love. Number one, that's what I love about Scripture. But that's what I love about Peter. Because I can relate to Peter. Because some days I can get it right. Just like you. Some days, man, you get it right. And you know it. And it's okay to feel, hey, I've got it. I did right. I did God's will. And there, don't be ashamed of that. Okay? Don't be ashamed of knowing that you did God's will. Okay? And it's okay to feel good about that because you're following God. But there are some days when even though I know what God's will is, I choose to do my will. I choose to slip back into those old habits or those old ways or, or whatever there is, and so we have to keep, and that, that just means we have to keep coming back to God. We have to allow God's Word to continue to remind us what God's will is. We have to keep allowing Jesus to cleanse us over and over and over and over again. Well, then you get down to around verse 30, and Peter begins to speak, and his first words that he speaks from this point on, they, they carry such a, a deep, such a deep significance. Then Peter began to speak to them. He said, I truly understand that but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Those words are, are so very important it's with these first words he, he sweeps away the the racial and the religious prejudiceness of, of centuries luke hits us full force with the power of the gospel in this moment when a jew and a gentile unite together around christ in doing so peter reveals the greatest truth to them that god no longer shows any partiality that God loves all and He accepts all who, who love Him. The result is that Cornelius and his entire household 
not only embrace this probably funny-looking, funny-acting Jew, but they end up embracing Jesus as their Lord. Because as Peter begins to explain the story to them, they begin to understand. They begin to realize that, hey, that story is it's for us. It says the entire household was baptized. And then Luke adds this, 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 this tiny little detail right at the end of verse 48. Then they invited him to stay for several days. Peter stays in the house of Cornelius. Stays in the house further, further demonstrating God's will. Further demonstrating the, the love of God to those around. See, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God does not revolve around whiteness, blackness, or, or brownness. The kingdom of God revolves around the blood of Jesus Christ and his reconciliatory death on the cross. It revolves around an empty tomb. So what is this really about? Peter's vision that he has, you know, it's sort of ambiguous at first. You know, was it, was it, was it just about food? Or was it about something else? You know, what did the, the unclean and, and the common refer to? Was it food? Was there something deeper going on? Was it about people? The answer has now been made clear that it's not simply about food. It is about people. People who at one time Peter looked on and would have nothing to do with, but now it is people who he will sit at a table with and have fellowship with. And that's a beautiful thing, is it not? You see, in one of the, the, the great bonuses of, of journeying together, what better place to get to know someone of a different race or a different background than around the table? It's around the, the table that we discover that, hey, we're each, we're just people. We may have disagreements, but none is above the other. It's around the table that we learn that we have the same basic needs to sustain life. We need food. We need, we need water. We learn some important things from this story. Peter learns that the work of Christ has significantly altered the traditional view of what is clean and unclean. For Peter's part in the story, we must face some very difficult question, questions in our own lives. And they're this. Who do I regard as untouchable that God wants to reach with the love of Christ? You know, is, there, is there someone in your life that for whatever reason, that person is just, you don't want anything to do with them? But maybe God does. 
Who, if anyone, who is that person in your life? Whom have I ignored that God would have me embrace? Is there anything keeping me from reaching across racial and cultural divides to show mercy and and hospitality to others? See, last week as we closed out, we... I offered some suggestions, some helpful tips from my friend Tanya. And I want to continue to do that. I want to continue to encourage you to spend time with someone who is different than you. I want to continue to encourage you to engage in meaningful conversation with someone from a different race. I want to continue to encourage you to listen with the heart of God and look with the eyes of Jesus as you engage culture. I want to encourage you to see the very best in people. Think about if we did just that. If our goal, if we got up in the morning after our our prayers and we said, God, just help me to see the best in people today. How much would that do for our community? How much would that do for our our world to just just see the best in one another? Well, Peter and Cornelius, Peter and Cornelius, they, they both trusted in God more than their own understanding and their traditions. They chose to embrace one another despite the risk of of ridicule from people in their own race. They accepted one another into their homes. They fellowshiped together as a people created in the image of the Almighty. They gathered around the table and they shared life together. And both of their lives were changed forever. You see, and now, now we have a time to gather around the table. To gather with, with one another as, as believers. To, to share life and to, to show kindness one, to one another. To, to embrace the love that is ours because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ.